Let's turn for, <coughs> me, for a little to the chapter we read, Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. <coughs> for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. <coughs> Belonging and being part of anything is very, very important for us in life. Where we become, it's, that's why families are so important to us, where we feel so much part of. It's a very, very, it's, a, it's, a, it's something sometimes we take for granted if we're born into a family and we have brothers, we have sisters, we have parents, we have uh, close relatives. Sometimes we don't really stop to, to think of how precious that is until maybe we, we, we lose one or lose more. And then we come to realize just how wonderful, what a wonderful blessing it is to be part of, to have, to have family, to be the sense of belonging. Because we all, we all crave a sense of belonging in this world. And that's one of the wonderful things about becoming a Christian, is that you become part of a family. You are brought into God's family. God is your father, and you have a huge family on earth where we are turned from the word of God as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so one of the great and wonderful privileges that we have that sometimes maybe we maybe don't take fully for, for, and, and fully understand it or uh, marvel at what it is that we belong to one another. And what we begin to become here is but a picture of what we will be fully in glory. The family begins here, and unfortunately, as in all human families, there sometimes are squabbles and this and that, and so within the family of God, sadly, there are still sometimes squabbles. In glory, there'll be no squabbles. And uh, we long for that time when the family of God will be one, in Christ, in glory. But we should be enjoying the, the family circle and family unit here in this world before uh, we get to glory. Now, uh, Romans chapter 8 is a chapter that we know is bursting with the privileges and the blessings of what it is to be a Christian. If, if you're ever down and wondering, you know, what, what do I have as a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Go to Romans 8. Start at Romans 8, 1 and work your way right through and if you're still feeling down afterwards, well, I'd be, I'd be kind of surprised because it is just there are so, so many privileges and blessings that are brought out to us in this chapter. Now, this verse 14 is a kind of a link verse because in this particular chapter, the apostle has been dealing uh, with great theological truths, but he does so very simply. And uh, he's been working through, he's been working through, really, in Romans, working through the, what it means to be justified, and how, ma how amazing that is, that through and because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we are now justified in the sight of God. We are now acquitted. On the day of judgment, we're told, we'll be openly acknowledged and acquitted. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That God will, there'll be an open acknowledgement that you belong to him. And you will be acquitted 
of all the wrong that you have done here in this world, openly acknowledged and acquitted. But although that will be an open declaration in the day of judgment, here in this world we are already acquitted. We are termed just as God looks on us through the work of Jesus Christ. He says, you are just. You have been justified. You have been set free. You are no longer under condemnation. That's what we're told. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's one of the, the most wonderful things, one of the great, great blessings that we have. But then following on from being justified, we are also sanctified. Now, as we often talk about it, there are, we look on sanctification as twofold. Uh, we use the, the different expressions uh, that the, the, we have that. What, we ter- what we'd normally think of sanctification is, is a progressive sanctification, the ongoing But there is a once and for all sanctification, because to sanctify really is to set apart. To set apart that which is holy. And the moment we're justified, the moment we're born again, when we're regenerated and born again, we are justified in the sight of God, and we are set apart as his. We belong to him. Don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to him. And you know... Although in some ways there is, a, there is a real pressure in seeking to walk according uh, to the spirit in life, there is also a tremendous sense of liberty and freedom where we're being set free from the rigors of the law, where we're not under condemnation anymore. And there's this freedom to live with Christ and in Christ. And it's, it's, it's a, wonderful, a wonderful freedom that we're given. But that, as we're saying, we're set apart right away, sanctified. But then there's this, what we term this ongoing work, where God's Spirit is working, conforming us, molding us, shaping us into the image of Christ. And that's, that's an extraordinary thing. But that is ongoing. It is happening day and night. And very often, this is part of the problem, is that although the Word of God tells us that this is what's happening, we feel ourselves becoming less and less like Christ. Because maybe as you look over your life, you say, you know this, when I started out first, I was more like, I feel I was far more like Jesus than I am now. But you know, the growth of the Christian, although we are growing up, we're also growing down. And The more that the Lord, the more that we grow like Jesus, the more that we we become conscious of our own sin, of the, the depth of depravity that is within us. I'm sure that you have discovered things about yourself now that you didn't know before. There are aspects and areas of your life that that it's like there's a it's like a torch has shone in and you're seeing other things. And you're saying to yourself, well, you know, you're aware that there are sins within your life, but you're maybe now discovering why these sins are there. You're coming to a, a new level of the sheer deceit and corruption that lies deep, deep down there. And that's what's there, and it's causing this. But that is because of the Spirit within you. Because if the Spirit wasn't within you, you couldn't see. You wouldn't be able to see this 
It is. This is what 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 what, what is happening. It is the work of God's Spirit within you, revealing these things to you. So that there's this ongoing growth. But then the other thing, and this is where Paul is now linking everything up, there is this other wonderful privilege and blessing, is where we are adopted into the family of God. So there's this being justified, we're being sanctified, we're being adopted, all these things happen where we are able to call, as it says there, uh, for, uh, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Isn't that wonderful? So that's this great privilege that we have, that we are now able to call God Abba, Father. We're no longer governed by fear. No longer afraid. The fear that came in the fall. Because there had been no fear prior to the fall. But whenever the fall took place, fear came. And that fear was evidenced in Adam running away from God. Prior to that, Adam had walked with God. But now he's run away when he hears the voice of God. Because of the fear. That's what sin does. Sin produces fear within the heart. And I believe that that is part of the explosion of all that's taking place within, within our world. Where there's so much fear. So much anxiety. So much unrest. Now, uh, don't get me, But it's a fruit of sin. That's what, that's what sin has done. It has, it has brought fear and pressures and anxieties and unrest. Now, I'm not saying that the moment a person becomes a Christian that all of a sudden all anxieties and fears disappear. That doesn't happen. We all have different natures, different dispositions. There's, we're all different. And we're not for one moment suggesting that, that a, a person, when they become a Christian, will never again have any mental issues or anything of that nature. Of course, that's not true. However, there is, when we become a Christian, we have, we have a freedom that, to go to God. The fear that existed there that sometimes we weren't aware of, all of a sudden, we feel we can go to God. The fear that, that there were times that you, you would, I remember, I've often said it before, before I became a Christian, I'd waken up in the night, and there would be a fear. What if I die? If I die, I'm lost. And there was this fear, this awful fear that would be there. And then as the longer I would be awake, maybe the more that fear would subside. But it was an instinctive, natural fear that was there because of sin. And I thank the Lord for the teaching I had and the upbringing that I had that enabled me to understand that because there are many people who have that fear and they don't know why that fear is there. But that fear is there because we're not right with God. But you know when you become a Christian, that fear goes. That slavish fear. There's a new fear, the fear of awe and respect in the presence of God. But that fear, that fear of bond, that bondage, that fear that you had, it's been taken away. And you can now, you can now go to the Lord. And that's what, one of the wonderful things, you see. 
it, you would think it was a very, very strange home if you saw a child in, in that home. And they were in fear every single time that they were going to ask their father for anything or go to their father about anything. You'd say to yourself, whoa, that's, a, that's, that's not a good home. That's a home that's ruled by, by fear. Fear is a dominant factor in that home. They're terrified in that home. You'd say to yourself, I'm glad I don't live in that home. But that's, you see, that fear is now gone. We're able, we're able to go to the Father. And the, fear, the, the, the reason why we can now go confidently to our Father is because of the knowledge that we have of Him. And knowledge is absolutely essential with, to our Christian faith. Because in, before you will commit yourself to anybody, before you will throw yourself onto anybody, you've got to know that person. You wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't trust somebody with your life that you had never met before. It, you see, knowledge is very important with regard to relationship, with regard to giving of ourselves. And that's what happens when we become Christians. There is a knowledge that is born. Even although, you know, you can have a great... And it's, it's a, that's one of the great things, wonderful things of training up children in the Bible, so that when they do come to faith in Jesus Christ, the knowledge that they have gained on the way up, that knowledge, it just, it all makes sense. I remember as a, as a kid when I was learning the shorter catechism, it was double Dutch to me. But we, we, had, we had to learn it. And I, was, I, used to, I used to struggle with all these concepts and things, and I, and I gained verses of the Bible, and so, do you know when you became a Christian, you were so thankful because all of a sudden, it be, all began to make sense. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit casts light straight away. And so there is a, instantly, a knowledge is born within the heart the moment you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you know who you go to. You know that you're going, uh, the one that you, you go to and you depend upon. That's why children, when they're in trouble... When anything frightens them, they want to get home. Your little children, they might have pals, they might have, but you know this, when, th when the chips are down and when they're in they just want to get home. Because they want to get in, into the security of home and with their parents. And so it is with ourselves. There's this, where we're more and more, where we're casting ourselves upon the Lord. Because we know that He understands, that He cares for us. That we belong to him. We are his children. And so there's this, it's, it's unnatural. And so there's a, there's a sincerity in our prayer. We know that he, he will hear us. It would be an awful home if children had to analyze and work out and say, I wonder now, can, can, I, can I actually go? Can I go to my mum and dad? Could, what, 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 if, what if they don't want to see me? You know, again, you'd be saying to yourself, that's an awful home. I wouldn't like to be part of that home. Where the children are trying to work out, you know, can can I can I go and speak to my mum? Can I go and speak to my dad? You would say there's something absolutely horrendously wrong in that home. But that, that's how it is with us. We can go. We have a freedom to go. We don't have to analyze and work out and say, I wonder, can I approach my heavenly Father? No, we just go. It's instinctive. We want to go. 
It's a, it's a great, great desire of our heart. And then verse 16 is really highlighting what verse 15 is all about. For we, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's what we've been talking about. But you have received the spirit of adoption. That's what we were saying. You see all that, that fear, that negativity that used to be there. The bondage through the law and condemned by it. It's lifted. It's gone. So now we have the spirit. We, 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 we have the, the spirit of adoption. The family spirit. And so we cry, Abba, Father. And so the spirit himself bears witness, witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, this is one of the, the wonderful things the Holy Spirit does for us. He convinces us that we belong. We don't work this up in ourselves. It's not a sort of, sort of saying, right, I'm going to try and work out and, and work up within my own self. I, I belong to God. No. There's the Holy Spirit who has come to reside, to abide, to dwell, to live within you, He is assuring your spirit that you belong. And that's why it's very difficult sometimes to explain assurance to somebody. To explain assurance when you as a Christian have a sense of assurance. Now I know that there are times that we can lose our sense of assurance. Losing our sense of assurance doesn't mean we lose our salvation. We can't lose our salvation. But there are times when we can lose that sense of assurance. But most of the time we have that sense of assurance of belonging. And it's the Holy Spirit that, that, that does that. And I believe that it's essential for us, in order for that spirit of assurance to be cultivated, it's essential for us to be in the Word and to be in prayer. We cannot expect to be full of assurance if we're not speaking to the Lord, if we're not hearing what the Lord says. And that's why it's so important to go to the Lord's table. You know, if, it, if once we come to faith, I believe that coming to the Lord's table is something that will, it so strengthens our faith and deepens our assurance. Uh, because I know one of the great fears that people have of keep, that keep them back from the table is, what if I go and I shouldn't have gone? And sometimes people who should be at the table don't go because of this. But you know something? Once you go and you partake of the Lord's Supper and you, you eat that bread and drink that wine and you become part of that family, it gives you a strength. It strengthens. It's something that really assures. And I would encourage, although we, we don't have a communion just coming up just now, but any of you who, have, who believe that the Lord has worked in your heart, Despite all the fears and uncertainties you may have, it will do you the world of good. It gives you a new sense of the belonging, of that sense of assurance. And then verse 17 goes on to show us that if we're children, uh, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And you know what? What a wonderful future is ahead of us. That we're, we're heirs, that's what it says, that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also glorify with him.
As you live out your days, do you think of what's ahead? Not of what's ahead tomorrow, but of what's ahead in glory. Of where you're going. Because I think that's very important. You will find that the New Testament writers all uh, speak a lot about this. Paul was one of the most practical men. One of the most down-to-earth people that you've ever met. And Paul had a passion for living and a passion for serving the Lord here. But he also had a great longing for glory. In fact, his longing for glory was so great that he, he was saying, I'm in a kind of a dilemma. Part of me wants to stay here and serve the Lord, but there's a huge part of me that wants to desire, the great desire to depart and to be with the Lord, which is far better. And so there's no question but that Paul lived a lot of his life in the light of eternity. And so should we. Because we're only here for a short time. A very short time. And the time we have left is far, far less than the time we've already had. Well, for, certainly for most of us. The time that has already gone by. And time is moving so, so, so quickly. But that's... A, that makes a world of difference for the Christian. Because a non-Christian, they, they don't have this anticipation, this excitement about the future. The Christian does. Because they know where they're going. They know what's... Though they don't understand the whole process. They don't know, we don't look forward to death. That's not something I'm saying, oh, I'm looking forward to the day I die. Nobody's saying that. But we, we're looking forward to what follows death. Even the Apostle Paul wasn't looking forward to death. He writes about that. But he looked forward to departing to be with Christ. He writes about the, this whole thing that he's not looking forward to becoming unclothed. In other words, of the, the whole process of dying of the, the body, you know, and all that. But he looked forward to what followed on from that. And, and so should we. And you know this, I believe it's one of the greatest witnesses and testimonies in this world is to see people who are living in the light of eternity and looking forward to it. You know, there's so much gloom in this world today and so many people are so down at heel and worried and what. It's a wonderful thing to have the calmness and the composure in the day that we're living in with also living with an, ex an excitement and an anticipation of what is ahead. I believe that Mary, who followed the Lord Jesus in New Testament times, I believe she was one of the greatest witnesses that the Lord had. The greatest, her life was a living testimony. I've never subscribed to the theory where you hear people say, Oh, he or she's too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. I believe the more heavenly minded a person is, the more they serve Christ, the more they, they witness for Christ, the more that Christ shines through them as living epistles. Uh, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful thing. So, to belong to the family of God, to be part of the family of God, it's just, it's just a wonderful thing. What does that mean for us? Well, when you think, if, you're, if you were an heir, you're an heir, that's what it tells us here, that we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Well, again, we've, we've often heard these things said. There's nothing original in this. But if a, if a person is an heir to a great inheritance... That person who is the heir will be really looked after very carefully. 
Because everything's going to be handed over. Everything's going to go to this person. And so there will be a kind of a special attention given to this person. And that's what God is doing for you and for me as well. Because we are heirs of salvation. We are heirs, fellow heirs. Imagine fellow heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with I find that quite extraordinary. We're going to share in his kingdom. And so it's inevitable that the Father is going to be looking out for you, looking after you. And an heir is somebody who has been prepared for the inheritance that they are to receive. And that's what the Father is doing for you just now. He's preparing you. He's preparing you. And all the troubles and the knocks and the difficulties and things that are coming into your life and you're saying, oh, if only I, if only I didn't have this, if only I didn't have that. And the Lord is saying, oh, if, if only you could see what I, what, I'm actually, what I have for you. But I'm preparing you for that through these things. As the word says, our affliction, and it terms a delight affliction, and this is very much a contrasting of the glory. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and right now you might be going through an affliction and you're saying to me, saying to yourself, it's anything but light. And it's not for a moment, it's been going on and on. But when we contrast it or compare it to eternity, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's what's happening. God is working in you for what he has prepared for you. And so, this is, this is a wonderful thing of being an heir. An heir is somebody who is brought in. Again, we've often heard this. An heir is somebody who shares in family secrets. You're going to be the heir to this estate. Well, there's certain things you need to know. And that's how the, our Heavenly Father is working for us. The Holy Spirit is ministering to us, revealing things. The deep things of God are being revealed and mysteries are being revealed. Not that we know all the mysteries, not at all. So much we don't know. But that's why an heir of an inheritance will know things about the family that people outside won't know. And that is true with regard to you as well. That you will know things about the kingdom of God that those who are outside the kingdom won't know. And people don't understand. So a lot of people today will not believe that as you go to church, that you go there with anticipation in your heart, with a hope that you will be nourished and strengthened and built up. A lot of people, as they see you go to church, will think you're going there purely out of duty, that it's something you do, that you, somebody, this, this is one of the things that you do, you just go to church, that you're the type of person, you go to church, it's that duty, there's nothing else. They don't realize that it's a spiritual exercise, that you're there to worship God, that your heart is engaged in that worship, that is real, it's meaningful, it's by faith you're doing it. And that at the same time you are receiving into your soul. That you're being built up, you're being strengthened. That you're going to church that's not just as a duty. Yes, there's a duty attached to it. 
But it's what you want to do. It's what you need to do. And so that's why outside, sometimes people don't understand what really, uh, what, what, what it's all about. So we see here that for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So we're being led by the Spirit of God. And of course when we are led, <clears throat> we are being taken down different roads and different paths. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And one of the things that happens is that we're, when we're being led by the Spirit of God, excuse me, we are being led in a particular way. There's two sides to this leading. We're being le- led to glory, yes. But we're, we're being led into battle. Led into what we would term uh, mortifying the deeds of the body. And that's the Spirit's great work is, as we said before, is to make us more and more like Christ. You see, at the end of the day, there are two forces and two powers at work. There is a spirit and there is a flesh. And either the flesh dominates and holds court within our life, or else the spirit does. Now, when the spirit comes into our life, that doesn't mean that the flesh is eradicated. It means that there is a war. There is a conflict. Because the flesh does not like that the Spirit has come in. The flesh wants to regain control. The flesh has been in control and doesn't sit happily with the Spirit as the flesh would see it invading. And so there is this conflict, this ongoing collision. In uh, Galatians chapter 5, you know how it tells us there uh, about the 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 fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. And it it tells us this, that you have, for I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. You see, the flesh naturally wants to break God's law, to go against God's law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And then there's this list of sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Two totally different things. I heard of a... <clears throat> I remember my father telling me he was at a communion that late Peter Chisholm was fencing the table. And one of the things, he, as he read there, he said, nobody, he said, should come to the table who does not know both of these things, the, work of the, fle- the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit hammering against each other within their heart. That the table is not just for those who know the fruit of the Spirit, but they know the work, the works going on within, which are battling against and trying. But the fruit of the Spirit is, is in control. The fruit of the Spirit is that which is subduing these things. And so that's what, what, what we have here. So we're being led by the Spirit. Now the actual 
There are different uh, words for this word led by the Spirit, but here it's got the kind of the idea of of uh, a force of a power within of where you are being taken over. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit has come has come into your life and he's leading you powerfully in a particular way. And as we say, that is where the conflict has come. But even although the Holy Spirit has come in to our heart and is at work, we are still the ones that have to walk. You and I are the ones we have to walk. We don't just sit back and say, oh, well, that's the Spirit in now. I don't have to do anything. Yes, we do. We have to battle. We have to fight. We have to run. We are the ones who are, who are engaged in this and making our, <clears throat> making our way. And so we have this great Heavenly Father. A Heavenly Father who provides for us. That's what fathers do. That's what parents do, isn't it? What do parents do? Well, they make provision. They will clothe their children. And so that's what the, our Heavenly Father has done. He has clothed us with a garment of salvation, with a robe of righteousness. Earthly parents will, will feed their children. So does our Heavenly Father. He feeds us. That's what He's doing today. That's what He's doing as we sing His Word and read His Word and preach His Word. He's feeding us, nourishing us. Earthly parents, they instruct their children. That's what our Heavenly Father does as well. He is teaching us in the way to go. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that you you, you shall go. I will guide you with mine eye. What a privilege it is to have the living and true God as our God, as our Heavenly Father. If there's anybody here today who does not as yet have Jesus as your Savior, you know, you're missing out big style. It's not, you know, some people look on the gospel as simply an insurance policy. It's far, far more than that. To have Christ as your own Savior, to have him as your Lord, your Master, to have God the Father as your great provider, as your sustainer, as your feeder, as your instructor, your protector, your guide, is to have everything. I urge that every one of us will know this Lord as our own. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we give thanks for all the opportunities and privileges and blessings that we have in and through your word. And we pray, Lord, that you will encourage us as we go on day by day, as we live out our days in this world. Uh, We face many challenges, many obstacles along the way, but we give thanks for your sustaining grace. And as the psalmist says, and by my God, uh, uh, and by my God assisting me, I overleap a wall. And may we overleap all the walls that come against us and that we might know your help and your strength and your grace. Be with us every day. Take us to our home safely and forgive us our sin. In Jesus' name, amen.